I'm going to invite you to get your bulletin out this morning and uh, get ready to uh, get a pen, get a Bible, and uh, follow along and appreciate what a great uh, worship service, uh, worship part of our service this morning as far as the name of Jesus. Can't go wrong by singing the name of Jesus, can you? And uh, so appreciate that and just the, the opportunity to uh, sing praises to Him. Now t- today we're going we're gonna to continue our series uh, called Blessed or The Blessed Life. And the truth is that uh, as there wasn't room for your uh, for, for, um, review in your bulletin this morning, so I'm just going to let you, uh, I'm going to give you the review real quick. It's not in there. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to do so. Uh, how many of you, though, like your Bible is just full of bulletins from the last 30 years, all right? Some of you, you know, some of you go home and throw it away immediately. Some of you maybe have it at home somewhere, and then... Uh, um, Typically, maybe I'm wrong, it seems like more cases than not, it's, it's women have their Bible completely filled with 35 years worth of bulletins. Uh, so if you can rummage through that and find last week's, so you can get it in the outline. But uh, we were talking about last week generosity and talking about the fact that we started out kind of talking uh, regards to sowing and reaping, the law of sowing and reaping, that if you uh, sow grace and you are generous to others, then uh, you'll get generosity back. If you uh, give forgiveness to people, then people will treat you when you need forgiveness with forgiveness. And, and also the same is true that if you are harsh and, and rude and judgmental, that oftentimes that law of sowing and reaping, what are you going to get back? Uh, harshness and rudeness and judgment upon you. But when we think about that in terms of uh, financially, when we, when we, or even in, in spiritually thinking of God, when we, when we bless God, when we steward what God has blessed us with, then God will bless us in return, this law of sowing and reaping. So we, we talked about developing a heart of generosity. The first one we talked about was deal with a selfish heart or greedy heart. If, how many of you remember I changed the word selfish to greedy? You guys remember that last week? And there was just like this uh, weird um, mind shift that I had last, morning, last Sunday morning. Like it just hit me all of a sudden that greedy sounds a lot worse than selfish. At least your response to me made me think that greedy sounds a lot worse than selfish. But uh, either way, it's kind of the same. So we want to deal with our selfish heart. The, the, the reality is we're all born selfish, aren't we? We're all, who are you worried about when you're born? You, right? That's all. How many of you, you guys have kids, you can attest that the only thing they're worried about is them, right? They're not really worried about the time schedule that you thought you had planned out for them, right? Deal with a selfish heart. Deal with a grieving heart. Deal with a, uh, excuse me, we're going to develop a generous heart and develop a grateful heart. And so we're going to kind of just... Uh, piggyback on that last week about this idea of generosity. Uh, you see on your outline there it says unlocking the treasure principle. And so there's going to be just five things. These are kind of just like basic principles that would help us to develop that generous heart, to develop a heart that is a heart of generosity. And again, this goes beyond uh, just talking about what God has blessed us with financially, but in, in all aspects of our life, that we want to be generous to other people. Now, the truth is that some of you, and, and maybe many of you, you, you're, you, how many of you have heard this statement before? Well, the church only wants my money. 
How many of you heard somebody say that before? All right, we're not going to ask you if you've said that before, okay? But, but I think all of us maybe on sometimes we've either heard it, we've thought it, we've said it, and, and so we kind of understand that just kind of that stereotype of church. And so then of all times for maybe you to show up today for church, guess what we're going to talk about? Money, right? And so my dad always used to say, people get funny when you talk about money, all right? And in church, I think people get quiet, right? Like this is going to be the quietest Sunday morning ever, right? And no one ever wants to come forward and pray when we talk about money because then everyone's going, well, they think I'm bad with my money or whatever, or I'm not a giving person, right? You guys do that. You're, you act like, you, you, you know, you don't think those things, but I know. I know. But, but here's the truth. The reason we want to talk about being generous, the blessed life, and generosity and principles of handling our money is not because the church needs your money. Okay, the church doesn't need your money. Because who does this church belong to? God. So let me ask you a question then. Does God need your money? No, he doesn't, does he? Like he owns everything. You guys are aware of that, correct? He, he doesn't need your money. It reminds me in, in Philippians, and I'm just going to read a quick verse, but Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, and he was talking about this area of giving. And this is what he said, not that I seek the gifts. So Paul was encouraging them to be generous and to give, but he said, it's not because I want the gift, or even because I need the gift. He said, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. Paul is saying, look, if you give and you're generous, it's not because the church needs it. It's not because me, Paul, the preacher, needs it. It's because I'm telling you that, that if you will apply these principles to your life, it will benefit you. And that's what Paul was saying. Not that I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. And so here's what I want you guys to do this morning, all right? So I think this picture is actually leaking water. Did you notice that? So... As I, as I pour this, and I even actually practice this so I wouldn't spill it, okay? You can do it back and forth here. Anybody get thirsty just hearing that? You guys hear that? Man, like it seriously makes my mouth just water, and so I'm going to drink it. And I'm going to set this down there because it actually is leaking water. Now, everybody see the glass? Can you see that? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word, and then I want you guys to say the next word that comes after it. Okay, I think you'll get, are you guys, are you guys awake? All right, I was told somebody in here this morning was dealing with allergies and took two Benadryl before they walked in today. So we may use the pitcher of water in other ways today, but anyways. All right, so on the count of three, I'm going to say one word, and you guys are going to repeat the next word. Are you guys following me? All right, one, two, three, half. We were all positive today. Or all of you guys that see this half empty knew better, right? Okay, so there's going to be some of us in, this, in the room this morning that we, we see the glass half full, right? How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you are like a half full kind of guy or lady, all right? How many of you are, are again, we're being honest this morning, how many of you are, it's half empty, Okay, negative Nancy's, right? <laughs> I am a half full kind of guy, always. 
like probably to a fault. I'm always thinking of the positive side of something. If there's not a positive side, I will figure out a positive side, okay? That's just kind of who I am by nature. And, and so here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to look, maybe, just, just maybe, that we could walk through some principles of Scripture from the perspective of the glass is half full. Like maybe there's something today that God could reveal to you in Scripture that you hadn't thought of before. Maybe there's something in Scripture that we could look at today that you would think, okay, so maybe the church isn't out for my money. Maybe, maybe this would benefit me. Maybe it's not just about a budget. So that's kind of the challenge today. Let's look at this, maybe from a different perspective. It's interesting that how much in God's Word talks about money. So out of the 38 parables that Jesus gave, 16 of them dealt with money. Okay, those math people in there are kind of figuring that out, all right? Jesus said more about money than he did heaven or hell. In fact, five times more. So in Scripture, there's 500 verses that deal with faith and prayer. There's 2,000 verses that deal with money. So if, if Jesus talked that much about money, and all throughout Scripture, it's all through Scripture, why is it so difficult to talk about it? I don't have an answer. I'm just asking. It is, right? It's difficult. It's there, though. Now, there's some statistics, and I'm using statistics from 2005, and the reason that I'm using it from 2005 is because uh, 2005 was a very high statistical um, category for America in the area of generosity, okay, in giving. And the reason, if you remember at the end of 2004, uh, in December, the, the last few days of December was the big earthquake that led to the tsunami, Right? And so a lot of money flooded overseas from America in, in to, to help in that natural disaster. Also in 2005 was when um, Hurricane Katrina. Okay? So again, a lot of money went out for humanitarian aid. And so 2005 is a pretty high uh, monetary value of Americans who were involved in giving generosity. Right? So we're on the high end in 2005 in these statistics. Okay? In, 2000 and f in 2005, there were $7 billion Americans gave for disaster relief. $7.4 billion in disaster relief. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Okay, but, so before we get bragging about ourselves, in the same year, okay, guess how much money we spent on pizza? Notice the pizza's gone. Okay. <laughs> 7.4 billion on disaster relief in America, 30 billion on pizza. Almost four times as much. You guys eat a lot of pizza. Apparently I do too. In, in 2005, 5.3 billion was given to world missions. So 7.4 billion was given disaster relief, 5.3 was given to world missions, but we spent... 9.4 billion going to the movies. I went to the movies this weekend and had a pizza. <laughs> 40 billion 
was given through churches. That's a lot of money. $40 billion was given in 2005 through churches. It's a lot of money. But in that same year, $22 billion was spent on chips. This is the only chips left at my house, chili cheese. So if you want some Frito chili cheese, there you go. $72 billion spent on Coke. We're in Texas, we say Coke. I know it's a Dr. Pepper. All right, how many of you say Coke? Yeah, give me a Coke, but I want Dr. Pepper, right? How many of you say pop? All right, so in Kansas they say pop, and it drove me nuts. How about soda? Any soda in here? Give me a soda. All right. Anyways, that has nothing to do with anything. I'm just asking. $72 billion on Coke, pop, soda, whatever, whatever you call it. Right, $40 billion in 2005 spent on pets. Okay, my dog apparently needs an emoji pet toy, right? $50 billion on weight loss. Right, if you quit eating the donuts in Sunday school, you won't need to spend that. But anyways, right, Troy? All right. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Let, let me run those through again. $7.4 billion was given for disaster relief, but $30 billion spent on pizza. $5.3 billion to world missions, but $9.4 billion on movie tickets. $40 billion was given to churches, or through churches, but $72 billion on Coke, $22 billion on chips, $40 billion on pets, $50 billion on weight loss. And who knows how many on pets weight loss, right? So here's, here's a, kind of a positive thought. 40, 40 billion was given to churches. That's a great amount. That's awesome. But, but out of that 40 billion given, statistics will teach us that only, that only 7 to 9% of people in church actually tithe. 7 to 9% of people in church actually tithe. So again, as we walk through this this morning, let's maybe think from a different perspective. With, what is God wanting me to hear from this? What, what does God have for me today in this? Have you ever wondered, have you ever thought, maybe I've been thinking about something entirely the wrong way my entire life, and then all of a sudden it's like the light comes on? Maybe, you, maybe you've thought, anybody kind of studied through history and you, you've kind of thought back like how, man, did people actually thought that? This week, uh, when, I, when I got this, I went to the movies and we, we watched a movie that made me think that. This movie was, was called Hidden Figures. How many of you have seen that movie already? Okay. And, and there was this quote in, in the movie, and the lady, the white lady says to the African-American lady, I know you may not believe this, but I really don't think all, you all are bad. And this was the response of the African-American lady. She said, I know you probably believe that. And it just triggered in my mind isn't it amazing when you think back 
how backwards sometimes we thought, right? And so I, I, I was kind of in my own mind. Is there, is there something in my life right now that's that blind to me? It's just something I've always thought. It's just something I was maybe taught. It's just something that, and, and so maybe this morning, maybe in, in light of finances, is there something that you've kind of just always thought the half was glass empty kind of way about church and money? And maybe today we could think from a different perspective. In fact, would you just close your eyes for a moment this morning? Everybody just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you just to take a second to you talk to God by yourself right now. And I want you to ask God to reveal in your life. God, is there, is there one of those blind spots in my, in my finances? In, in, in the area of my life in speaking towards generosity that, God, I, I'm asking you right now if there's something in my life like that. Break down that wall today. Help me to see something different in Scripture. God, we come before you today, Lord, and we are honored and blessed to be in this church, in this country, and to know Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we open up your word, that Lord, you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. Lord, for some of us, we, we, we were taught to give at an early age, and Lord, I'm thankful for that. But even in my life, Lord, may I examine my heart in the area of, of my giving and how I view it. Lord, speak to me, speak to us. May your word penetrate our hearts today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 29. So I told you last week to write this passage down, and I'm guessing a few of you actually went and looked it up. Uh, and, and so if you're, as you're turning there and you got your bullets, and I'm going to give you that first blank, all right? God owns everything. I'm a steward. All right, we alluded to this last week, and so we're kind of, again, piggybacking on, on last week. I, God owns everything. I am a steward. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10. 1 Chronicles 29, 10, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said. All right, so you, you guys know as well as I do, in verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29, it starts out with the word therefore, and everybody knows if you see a therefore, you're supposed to look back and see what it's there for, right? Are you guys following me? Verse, so let's just read verse 9, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced. Okay, so the context here, King David is, is going to write here, and starting in verse number 10, and so in verse number 9, he's talking about they had just received an offering for the temple, okay, and to rebuild the temple. And verse 9 kind of alludes to that. It says, then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Right, so this is the culmination everyone has given, and twice it mentions in verse 9 
how was the attitude in which they gave? What was the attitude in which they gave? They gave willingly. Twice it says they gave willingly and they rejoiced that they had an opportunity to give. Do you think there may be a principle in, in that verse of Scripture about giving? Giving how? Willingly. And then they rejoiced. And I'm not sure if sometimes the giving takes place first and afterwards comes the willingness, right? Sometimes it's like, which is going to come first? Verse 10, though. So this is the context. They've just given this great offering. They've all willingly given. They've sacrificed. Therefore, verse 10, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Do do you hear what David is saying? Listen to those words. You, O Lord, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, victory, majesty. For all, for all, are you listening to that? For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted over all. Verse 12. Both, look at this. Everybody look at your Bible. Verse 12. Both riches and honor come from who? You, God. King, this is King David with great wealth. And what is he acknowledging? Lord, Lord, the power, the kingdom, all my possessions come from you. It's all, it, it's all yours, God. Verse 12 continues, in your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. David is acknowledging, I'm in the place I'm at. I am the king of the nation only because you've placed me here. You are sovereign. Verse 13, now therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to offer so what? Willingly as this. Do you just grasp the understanding of their heart and the fact that they were allowed to willingly give, and then David is saying, look, God, everything in the kingdom is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You've created all things And we're willingly and we're blessed to be able to give back. The end of verse 14 says, for all things come from you. Look at the last phrase there in verse 14. For all things come from you, and then he says, and of your own we have given you. What what is David saying? We have willingly given to build the temple And everything we've given, we are actually doing what? Giving back to you. David is acknowledging that God is the owner. David is the steward. Or a word that may be more familiar is manager. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand, and it is all your own. I know also, verse 17, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure and uprightness. As for me and this uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things 
And now with joy, I have seen your people who present here to offer willingly to you. Do you see a theme there? Do you think it's possible that when we've come to the point where we acknowledge that everything we have, every, every resource that is available to us has been given to us by God, that it lends itself to allow us that to give with what kind of an attitude? Willingly. So the first principle is to realize God owns everything. I'm just a steward. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. We talked again about this last week, and so we're kind of uh, just adding to this. But in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not lay up for your, verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust are destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when I acknowledge that everything I have is given to me by God, hopefully it will lead me to, to give willingly and to realize that where I put my money or where I put God's money, it's really what I'm worshiping. It's where my heart is. And I wonder this morning, how many of you actually take time to evaluate where your money is going? So this week, somebody, uh, this young couple, I think they tried to get me into their marriage fight, right? Anybody ever been drawn into somebody's argument, right? It's not a good place to be, let me tell you. And so they, they trying to draw me this argument like, uh, the guy had been spending a lot of money on his hobby, and the wife was like, maybe you should calculate how much money you've spent on your hobby in the last three months. You guys ever had that conversation? You guys ever had that conversation? <laughs> don't, want to, don't want to admit it, do you? And, and so this is like I'm drawn into this conversation. Thank you. I'm so appreciative of this. But here's what the young man said. This is how much I thought I w had spent, and once I calculated how much I spent, I, and it, it was really hard for him to say, she was right. I had spent too much money. Let's think about this verse. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you willingly give your money to is really what you worship. And that's it's kind of hard to think about, isn't it? My heart always goes where I put God's money. Maybe we should check our heart by checking our spending. Maybe we should check our heart by checking our spending, or maybe we could add to that Spending slash giving. What are we giving our money to? Apparently, pizza and pets, health. I'm really healthy. I got diet, Dr. Pepper. Number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. So, the scripture we just read, Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 6, don't let for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. 
Lay for yourself treasures in heaven where moth, neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasures, there will your heart be also. And I wonder where you're investing more of your money in. Here or heaven? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if we spend so much time accumulating things, you know what, what uh, has, like, coming back after the last six years, and we lived in, like, rural Kansas, and uh, this bag here, I hate this bag, I'll be honest with you, because this bag represents that I had to drive an hour to go get my chicken and cheese and then bring it back in the trunk of my car, right, because I lived in, like, Podunk, Kansas, you know what, like the thing that has stuck out in my mind since coming back, I mean, you know, things change, right? Storage units. They're everywhere. Have you noticed that? Not so much in Kansas because I think they just put it in the barn or something. I'm not sure. What does that say about us as a culture? I mean, the truth is, the storage unit, I mean, climate-controlled storage units. And if you have one in there, that's great for you. I'm not, I'm not dogging on you. But you know what? I've been to a lot of different countries that those storage units are nicer than people's homes. So where my treasure is, there my heart be also. A few years ago, I got the opportunity, this was uh, I think January of 2010, I got the opportunity to go with uh, Andrew, uh, Evan, and then Chris Kirkendall. We went to Chile and we got to speak at a youth camp. We spoke at this youth camp and interesting enough, almost 30 years prior to that, my dad had been to that same youth camp in Chile. But 30 years ago there was no camp there. It was just a vision that a missionary had. And the vision was to have a youth camp for people to come and to hear about Jesus. So my dad comes back to rural Kansas and he tells the church, we need to raise some money for a well. We need a water well. They're trying to build a camp. And so he comes back. This is again 30 years ago. So several years ago when I was in Kansas, I stood before our church and I talked about being at this camp. I talked about uh, the fact that 30 years prior, my dad had, had raised some money from some people in Kansas to go build this well and to, to drill this well, some 30 years later, the well is still supplying the whole area. And I remember telling the kids that night, the first night I was at that camp, I was like, God has a plan and a purpose for you, and the plan and a purpose, as far as I know, goes all the way back even 30 years ago, when my dad stood in the same place, and he raised the money to drill this well and here 30 years later you're you know 14 year old kid and you're going to hear about Jesus tonight and I told that story to our church in Kansas and I look out and there's this guy out there just eyes filled with tears he comes up to me after church and he says you know 30 years ago I was young and married a young married with several small kids and not much money and I went home that afternoon after your dad had said, we need to raise some money for a well. 
this guy scrounges some money together and says, we've got to give to this. And you know, 30 years had gone by and he had not heard about that camp. And you know what he told me? You, you just can't outgive God. Like the blessings, the blessed life, it may not be that money comes back immediately. But let's think about the return of his investment. For the last 30 years, students have gone to that camp and they've heard about Jesus. Do you think that man regretted sacrificing and giving? I can tell you, no. But I think we often think more about here than there, don't we? Number four. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. And the truth is, we are all materialistic. Me included. So we said about 7 to 9% of people actually tithe. And how does that, like, so how does that break down to believers or to churchgoers who actually give? What's the, what's the average that every person who goes to church in America gives in a week? $13. $13. And I wonder how much you spend and I spend $13 on without even thinking about it. Isn't it it crazy to think how much $50 sounds like to give to church but not so much to go out and to watch a movie and eat on a Friday night? Doesn't it seem different though? Like doesn't it seem like I'm going to give $50 to the church but we don't think anything about going to the movies and eating and you're at least going to spend 50, right? Depends on where you're eating. So how do I overcome materialism? And the truth is, in, at least in my life, this is what my life looks like in the area of generosity and materialism. And I've got it one, and I've got it beat, and I don't. It's like this, you know? Like, I do good, I do bad. I do good, I do bad. But I, I want to keep doing good. I want to keep putting my heart in check. Like, do you really need that? Does my dog really need this? I didn't buy it, but anyways, Santa Claus brought it to him. <laughs> no, number five. Number five. Is it possible that God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving? So... Do I, when I get my raise, where does that go to? What am I spending my money on? In Luke chapter 7, we don't have time to go there. And on the bottom of your outline is like all this information we didn't get to. But the truth is, I wasn't planning on getting to it anyway. So, 
But in Luke chapter 7, turn there with me real quick, and I, and I promise we'll be quick here. We're going a little longer. You're getting your money's worth today, all right? We'll put it that way. Luke seven thirty six. I'm going to start reading. I can hear your turn there, but I'll, I'm going to go ahead for sake of time. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Then he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down. So somebody, a Pharisee asked Jesus, hey, come over to lunch. Come eat. Behold, a woman in the city who is a sinner, when she, she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at, the feet, at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who touched him, for she is a sinner. So do you, so do you get the picture? Okay, in the culture there, women wouldn't, she was not invited to this dinner, okay? But in this culture, you know, like the rich people here would have been eating, and, and, and outside of that would have been people just kind of the, the less fortunate, just listening in on the conversation. So that's kind of the story, and she kind of does more than listen in. She puts herself into the story, and she washes the feet of Jesus. And this Pharisee, who's sitting with Jesus says, oh, this guy's not a prophet, because if he's a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And it says that he thought that, or he said it to himself, okay? So what does that mean? Like, this was not a verbal conversation he had with someone. He's thinking his mind. Oh, this guy that I invited over says he's a prophet. Obviously, he's not, because this is what's going on. And Jesus answered and said to him, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. He said to him, you have rightly judged. What is Jesus saying? This Pharisee couldn't admit that he needed Jesus. Because he couldn't admit that he needed Jesus, he went away unforgiven. But Jesus asked this question, so he tells this like story. One owed this massive debt, one owed small debt. The master forgave them both. Which one do you think was more appreciative? Which one do you think was more grateful? Which one do you think loved the master more? And the Pharisee's answer was, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it? The one who had a bigger debt. The one who has forgiven more is going to love more. Now let's think about that from our perspective. What, what's the greatest gift that I've ever been given? is Jesus. Have I been forgiven much? Yes. Do I deserve God's forgiveness? No. Should I love much? Yes. Have I been loved much? Yes. For God so loved that he did what? 
he gave. He gave his son to forgive me of my sins that I could have a home in heaven. Is it possible that sometimes I'm like that Pharisee and I forget how much I've been forgiven? And maybe that's why I don't give so willingly. Is that possible in my life? Yes. And so my assumption this morning is if it's possible for me, then maybe it's possible for you. Perspective changes things, doesn't it? When I remember the cross, when I remember where I would be without Jesus, where I would be going when I die without Jesus. Whoever's been given much, whoever love, has been loved much, will give much and will love much. Two questions and we're done this morning. The first question is this. It's not on your outline this morning. Have you been forgiven much? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? The Bible says that the punishment for our sin, the wages of sin is death, and, and that means that we will spend eternity in a place called hell if we die in our sins. But God gave the gift of Jesus to restore us unto himself. If I place my faith in Jesus, then I can have eternal life, eternal home in heaven. I can be forgiven. So the question is, have you allowed God to forgive you? The second question are you a manager or an owner of what God has blessed you with? Do you have an open hand? God, you've blessed me, and I want to bless others. Is it possible that God has raised your standard of living so you could raise your standard of giving? Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Two questions. Have you been forgiven? In other words, have you given your life to Jesus? The second question is, are you managing God's money or are you owning God's money? Open hand, closed hand. So I want to ask this morning real quickly, would anyone say, you know, John, God's revealed to me today that I've never given my life to Jesus. If I were to die today, I would spend an eternity paying for those sins, and I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, and you'd like me to pray for you, I want to ask you real quickly, just to put your hand up for a moment. Just put your hand up. Everyone's eyes are closed. Just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Thank you in the back there, a couple of you. Thank you. I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. Anyone else this morning? Wow, several of us over here on the other side. Anyone else? Just put your hand up for a moment. Leave it up for a moment. I'm just kind of looking around. The truth is, it's, it's, it's between you and God. You can put your hands down. Now, this is what I want you to do if you raised your hand this morning. You can, you can set things right, right now, in this very moment. Right where you're seated, you can pray a prayer. 
and you can surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You can seek forgiveness right where you're at. It doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter how much money you've given. What matters is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? So I'm gonna challenge you right where you're at right now to pray a prayer. The prayer goes something like this. You can repeat right after me or you can say it in your own words. But I would challenge you to do it right now this morning. And it goes like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't work my way to heaven. And I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to Jesus. I'm gonna ask this morning again as our eyes are closed. Would anyone say, John, I prayed that prayer. I prayed with you this morning. If that's you, would you just put your hand back up this morning? Just put, put your hand up this morning. I prayed that prayer. Just put it up. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Thank you. Here's what I want you to do. In a moment, we're going to stand. There's going to be people standing here at the front, and they're going to be facing you. And we're going to begin singing in a moment. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to walk forward this morning. Shake one of their hands that are standing here and tell them what you did. It's not going to be easy, trust me. But you can do it. God will give you the strength to step out to tell someone. I would ask the, the rest of us this morning, who would say today, John, you know what? The truth is, God has revealed to me today that I'm acting more like an owner than a manager of what he's blessed me with. Would you put your hand up this morning? Just put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Put it up. Several of us. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I, I want to challenge you this morning. If God's spoken to you about any of these things this morning, in a moment we're going to stand. I'm going to encourage you to come forward and pray. Seek the Lord. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for grace and mercy. I thank you for how you've blessed me in my life. Lord, forgive me for being materialistic, for being an owner, not a manager, for forgetting how much you've given me, how willingly I should give back. Lord, in these next few minutes, would you continue to speak to us? I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to sing this song. Dave's going to lead us in a song. I'll give you my heart. And I want to encourage you this morning. If, if God has spoken to you, come down and pray with someone.